The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit grove.church. Bet you thought when the lights came up, I'd be in like a robe and a powdery wig. So you're welcome. But anyway, hey, we're going to jump into a new series today called Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, we'll get to that soon enough. I want to mention, some of you guys maybe saw I got a, a different shirt on today and some of us around here are wearing them. And uh, the truth is, we got some uh, individuals that are part of our church that are uh, at CrossFit Marysville, and they uh, made it to the, the games down in California. It's kind of a worldwide deal. It's kind of a big thing. And um, it's just awesome that we have that kind of athletes that are not just part of our church, but part of our community and, and care a lot about individuals. And so in the last service, they were in service, and, and we prayed for them. And I encourage you to continue to pray for these athletes. A couple of years ago, they actually took third in the world. And um, again, they're amazing individuals, um, and they love Jesus. And so uh, if you want to watch it all, you can go online, and uh, you'll see it, I think, if you go to CrossFitGames.com or ReebockCrossFitGames.com. And it's happening um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this coming week. So it's fun to cheer your TV screen and see individuals that are part of our church there competing. But uh, anyway, uh, that's what that's about, just in case you wondered. If you thought maybe I was on here, no, I'm, I'm not. So um, anyway. Uh, well, we're going to jump into our series, Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. If you've got a Bible with you, some of you may be like, well, where in the world is Daniel, the book of Daniel? It's really, honestly, kind of mid-Bible. If you end up like Psalms, Proverbs, continue to head right, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, then you'll get to Daniel. If you get to some weird uh, names of books like Nahum and Obadiah and Habakkuk and stuff, take a left and you'll get to Daniel there uh, in, in that kind of portion of your Bible. We're going to be in chapter 4. Like I said, we'll get to that here in just a moment. How many of you guys remember being in elementary school and um, going on recess? Okay, I was, a, I was a Marshall Mustang. I went to Marshall Elementary in Marysville, and I was a Mustang, and I remember going on recess. In fact, that was my favorite class in school, but um, uh, I remember playing on the monkey bars and the little climbing things and playing four square and tetherball and kickball and all that stuff and having lots of fun, but anybody remember in elementary school having an elementary school crush? Come on, just admit it. You had somebody you liked and stuff. I don't know if you're in kindergarten, which is kind of young to have a crush. Um, maybe you're in first, second, third grade. There comes a point where girls stop having cooties, by the way, just so you know, somewhere in that maybe fourth, fifth grade range. But um, it's amazing how when you like somebody and you're a little kid, the goal is that you act like you hate them because that means you like them. Anybody with me? You're like, you like shun them or you say, they have cooties or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and you even say like, I hate them. And then later on, your buddies, you know, girls are gathered over here or whatever. And they're like, so who do you like? And they're like, well, I like so-and-so. Isn't that the guy you hate? And doesn't he have cooties? Anyway, so that's kind of how it works in kid world because kids don't understand the world of romance. And most of you don't either. But that's another message for another day, and don't elbow your spouse right now, because that's inappropriate. Anyway, um, but we're just doing our best, and we haven't even got to junior high where you like write letters and you're supposed to check a box, because that comes later. So it kind of morphs into being married later and living happily ever after, I'm sure. But um, in our, uh, you know, in the same way, there's kind of rules of the kid kingdom. In the same way, there, there's rules of, of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ. And in the world that you and I live in, there, there's all kinds of rules that, that people live by uh, that govern, you know, how we live, how we find success, um, how we gain notoriety, how we use money, um, how we gain a following or get respect or whatever. But here's the deal. In the Bible, we find a different set of rules. And I want to remind you this, and I'm always a big fan of, you know, taking notes, and like I said, we've journals available, take notes in every Sunday there at the info booth. But um, if you're a note taker, it's, it, I think you should write that down, because in this series, we're going to discuss the fact that Christ's kingdom is upside down from the world's kingdom. 
And, and like I said, there's ways to get ahead in the world that we live in that the Bible would say, don't do those things. That's not how you actually get ahead. And we're going to discuss this in this series. Today is really just part one. So Daniel chapter four is where we're going to land. And um, we're going to begin with a conversation about an actual king as we read Daniel 4. I want to warn you, I'm going to read a lot of text as we jump in. So I'm going to read a whole bunch, follow along. It's going to be on the screen as well. If you got a Bible with you, I always say open your Bibles, get familiar with the pages. But Daniel 4, and we're going to start in verse 4. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought to me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him my dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from under its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man to, um, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass uh, for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, verse 19, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let this dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having places in its branches for the birds, your majesty you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. This is the decree the most high has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. 
You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that the kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. Is not, excuse me, a voice came from heaven and said, This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Father, today we've read a lot here, but God, it's my prayer that our hearts would be wide open, that your spirit would work in every single one of us, God. That, Lord, there's something about this text, I believe, that means a ton to how we live, God. That your kingdom in our world is an upside-down kingdom, but God, there's wisdom that you have that we need, and we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I read a lot of texts, and I'll give you the backstory to the book of Daniel. Um, if you go back in the, New, in the Old Testament, excuse me, and you read Samuel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, that's really a lot of the history of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was established. There were kings that honored God, King David, King Solomon, and then there were some kings that began to do what was wicked. So wicked that God brought people to warn them, and that's where most of the prophetic books of the Old Testament, I mentioned Obadiah and Nahum, and there's a bunch of Habakkuk and all this stuff, and they were sent by God, most of them, to warn the nation of Israel that later on, because of their wickedness, there was infighting and they split into two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Over and over, as you continue to read the history in the Bible, it says that wicked kings came to authority. There were some good kings, but by and large, as time went on, there were more wicked kings and more wicked kings where finally God said through the prophets, if you continue to walk in wickedness, you will be taken into exile. In fact, there were prophecies about Babylon taking them over. Well, sure enough, all of, the, all of Israel and Judah at this point were taken into captivity, and this is where Daniel comes into play. Daniel is somebody who serves and honors God, somebody who, as you read in the book, was persecuted, and you got Daniel, the lion's den, and these stories, but at this point, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, all of the nation of Israel has been taken into captivity, and King Nebuchadnezzar reigns. God gives him a dream, and it says specifically, right before the dream, the phrase is used about Nebuchadnezzar in verse 4. He was at home in his palace, contented and prosperous. Okay, let me tell you something. It's not a terrible thing, this idea that we be content, uh, this idea we be prosperous. There's all kinds of warnings against being complacent and content or against prosperity because it can rot our souls. At the same time, it's not bad, except here it actually is talking about Nebuchadnezzar being full of himself. And so we get this picture that, that, that he's you know, kind of more you know, heady than, than you might imagine, and he has this dream. I read, and it mentions the dream here three different times. And this whole dream is this idea of this giant tree and all that it provides, and that's the attitude and the heart of the king who has all of this power. The empire of Babylon at this point has extended north, south, east, and west, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar is amazed at all of the power and all that's gone on. Well, as we get into the story, it talks about how you know, he's full of himself, but I want to read a few verses for you in particular. It talks about this dream. It talks about you know, this, this issue of pride. And then it says this. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know. Do me a favor. Raise your hand in here if you're alive. Just raise your hand. Okay. A few of you are dead. That is what it is. Um, okay. This is a warning to all of us because in here we're alive. It says, so that the living may know. That the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Let me tell you something. We read this and you think this is a fairy tale story or some far off idea that's supposed to kind of teach us a lesson. But this is an actual story about what God can do because it's a reminder to you and me that the Most High is still sovereign. We can look at this and go, wow, God was sovereign way back when. God did this in this land and that in that land. But today, the world we live in... God's out there somewhere, but he really doesn't, you know, work in mankind or orchestrate certain things. But I would tell you all day long, yes, he does. It's why, listen to me, in the world that we live in, and I'm going to look at my ballot in November, and you're going to look at yours and go, unbelievable who we get to vote for, okay? And we're all going to go, what is this? This is monkey business. At the same time, I'm telling you, I have a great peace in my heart because I still believe, yes, we need to express our freedoms. Yes, we need to be able to, to vote because that's our right in a free country. At the same time, you know what, God? You orchestrate what you want to orchestrate. You do what you want to do. I don't always understand it. I don't always comprehend it. It doesn't always seem to go the way I want it to go. At the same time, God, I'm going to trust that you're still in control. Because the Most High is sovereign. Now, that's probably a different message for a different day, I guess, but it's a great reminder for all of us that you may, you may be in this room and, and, and you have a kingdom. And you, your kingdom may not be north, south, east, and west and all this influence and power, but every one of us has some level of leadership and responsibility and influence. Whether you're the head of a household as husband and wife or you, you're at a workplace where you've climbed a ladder and you have some employees under you or you have friendships and, and, and you kind of lead the way with different decisions or different things that you guys do together. Whatever it might be, every single one of us has some level of influence. The question is this, do you take that with an attitude of pride? Look at me and how far I've climbed. Look, I'm making more money than they're making. Look, I, I'm higher on the ladder at Boeing or whatever it might be or, you know, I've done it or in your friendships, I want to be the coolest one or the one with the newest this or the, the latest that or the toy here and the toy there, whatever it might be, are you in that world and do you find your identity there? 
Because the challenge here, as you read it in Scripture and as you get into it with this king, is that he was full of himself. Do you find yourself thinking that the world revolves around you? And here's the thing. It's easy for all of us to excuse this. No, I don't. But do you find yourself playing keep up with the Joneses? Do you find yourself enjoying the power that you have over your children? Do you... Do you find yourself playing in your mind the ladder of success at work and then you get intimidated when somebody's under you and they're climbing the ladder a little faster and oh, the boss is noticing them a lot more and what if I and oh no and I better? What is it for you? Because here's the deal. We're all prone to pride. See, I, I love, we can easily point fingers at others, but we're all prone to it. And we can come to church and put on our nice mask and God bless you and how you doing? Hey, good to see you today. And we're, before we get here, we're cussing at the kids in the car about sitting down and buckling up and mad at the guy that's driving in front of us going too slow and, you know, whatever it might be, in a fight with our spouse. And then we get here and, hey, bless you. And then we leave here and we go home and we go throughout our week and we're cutting corners at work and, and we're kind of telling half-truths and lies so that we look better than we really are in our friendships or in our marriage or in our family. We want people to think this or that. All of it's pride. All of it's, listen to me, all of it is you trying to guard your own little kingdom, even if it's in your own little head. And that's the issue here that we see. And it's a reminder, and, and here's the thing that I love, because you read this and go, really? I mean, he's on the roof, and he says all this stuff, and then he all of a sudden is like an animal, and he's living in the, in the woods and the fields, eating grass like an ox, and his hair grows, and he has claws like it. What is that? And it's not literally, it grow claws, it just means his nails got long and nasty. You take it so literally, what in the world? But I want to tell you something. Hundreds of years before this, there was a king who penned these words in Proverbs 3.34. He mocks proud mockers. God here is mocking somebody who thought they had all the power, that they were in such control. Isn't it amazing in the world that you and I live in that one day everything's going great and your plan's working out and you're finding success and you have influence and all these things are going the way you think and it's so easy how in an instant everything can change. Somebody's texting while driving and all of a sudden you're in a head-on collision. Your health isn't what it used to be. All of a sudden the doctor says, hey, we need to sit down and talk because something's wrong. All of a sudden somebody calls you in at work and says, look, we got to downsize and we love you, appreciate you, but we got we to make some changes here. All of a sudden you're humbled when you're wife says, look, it's time to have a conversation because I just don't love you like that anymore. It's amazing how in an instant everything can change and you're on your high horse thinking about your own little kingdom and the next day it all crumbles. And it's not a message to you to say, hey, your life's going to crumble. Praise God. I'm not saying that. I want you to feel that way. I'm just wanting you to realize that where there's pride in our lives, I happen to be a believer that God will, in one way or another, bring humility. Because we all need it. The upside-down principle of the kingdom of heaven is simply this. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. If you want to be exalted, don't, don't give up your integrity by cutting corners. Don't, don't, don't ruin your marriage by telling half-truths and lies about what's really going on with you, living a double life, hiding some thing going on over here in the corner in your world. Don't, don't, don't find yourself playing games in your head about who's better and who's not, because this issue of pride, by the way, the definition of humility 
is this, an absence of arrogance. Another way to put it is this, not thinking that you're better than others. It's so easy for us to find success. It's so easy for us to to climb the ladder. It's so easy for us to to generate some level of income and then look at others that, that aren't quite doing as well as you and go, well, if they would only be like me. Well, if they would just do what I did. Well, if they would just follow the things I think. Well, if they just take the steps I took. I wish they would stop this or quit doing that. And it's not that you can't have conversations with people that you care about to say, hey, this is a pitfall or I'm warning you or be careful. But it's this arrogance of looking at our lives and thinking that because we're more successful on whatever level that we're better than other people. Pride. See, humility is an absence of arrogance, not thinking that you're better than others. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, if you're taking notes, says this, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble or gives grace to the humble. All of you. I'm not better than you and you're not better than me and we're not better because we own a home and they don't or we have a roof and they're homeless or we don't have this addiction, and they do. I love, I listened to a series the last few weeks, about a, maybe a month ago, I've been listening to a series, and I listened to a lot of stuff, but this one was um, North Point, Andy Stanley, and the series was called Address the Mess. And I love the basic premise of the series was this. Um, I can identify a mess when I see one because I am one. Right? I mean, it's amazing. Here's the thing. There are certain messes in people's lives that are far more visible. When, you're, when you're, you know, your wife leaves and you're showing up places all by yourself, and then, hey, where's your wife? You can only make excuses for so long before it's like, well, they left me. The individuals, you get strung out on addiction and, and drugs, and all of a sudden you, you lose weight like crazy, or you, you start having physical ailments and stuff, and you, you can't keep up appearances. And so people begin to notice something's wrong. There's a certain addiction going on. Others are far more private, and, and we're better at hiding. But here's the thing. If we're all honest, we're all a mess. We all have our issues. And if our issue is that we don't have any issues, then we have pride. Isn't that amazing? It's like, man, right when I got over the issues, now there it is. It's incredible how it works, but here's the deal. We can't point fingers thinking that we're better than others because we all have our messes. Not one of us in this room is perfect. I would love like a hallelujah just because I love that one. We're just not. And that's the beauty of it is going, you know what? There's no reason to think I'm better than others. James 4.10, the brother of Jesus, wrote this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Going back to that 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 6. If you want a great verse to memorize, by the way, this is an easy one. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due See, I gotta be honest, the, 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 is it a prepositional phrase at the end there? The phrase at the, I love that. Because we tend to go, if I humble myself today, God will take care of it tonight. We do, that's how we work. But, but I love that it says in due time. Because sometimes we humble ourselves and God wants us to continue to humble ourselves. Sometimes it's a test. Am I gonna pick it back up again or am I gonna remain humble? Did I say it because I felt like it on a Sunday because the pastor said something that got me or did I mean it on Monday? Do I mean it next month? 
how, how long, I can't give you the time for any one of us. But I love that it says, in due time, God will lift us up. God will exalt us if we're willing to walk humbly. L- let, me, let me say this as we begin to wrap this up today. The final definition, again, you can go online or you can look up in dictionary, whatever. Um, if you look up the word humble or humility, you're going to find that absence of arrogance. You're going to find not thinking that you're better than others. But I love this one, and this came up uh, as I was studying this. Another definition is this, submitted. And I, I think that's important for many of us in this room that would say we're followers of Christ. Submitted. Because here's, listen, here's what it comes down to at the end of the day. You and I, do we really trust that if we, we live according to an upside-down kingdom, we really humble ourselves, walk in humility, that God will exalt us when he wants to? Do we really trust that? Or, as I said a little bit ago, do we cut corners? Do we tell half-truths? Do we make, try to make ourselves look better than we really are? Do we try to get ahead by, by losing our integrity? And making decisions that we know deep down, that's probably not the best decision. That's probably not what God wants. But if I just do this, I could probably get ahead somehow. The question is, to whom are you submitted? See, for the follower of Christ, you and I are called to submit to him. That's why one of the titles of, of, of the Lord is the Lord. It's mad. He's the master of our lives. We're the slave, the servant. He's the master. God, I want to live by what you say, even though it's not always easy. I want to live the way that you tell me to live, trusting. And so that's what it comes down to in this conversation. In the upside down kingdom of Christ opposed to this world, do we trust? Can we trust? Is God who he says he is? that he'll take care of it if we walk right. If we make the right decisions, he'll take care of the details. He'll give us the promotion. He'll take care of the, the future. He'll put the pieces together of your goals and dreams, which are fine to have. Do we trust that this God, who's the Lord of the upside-down kingdom, will take care of exalting us in his time? John chapter 13, as we end today, is to me the most stark example of humility. I'm just going to read it, and I actually read it not too a few months ago, I think, in, in, in church, but I, I love how it's put, and I'm just going to end with this. John chapter 13, verse 1. If you take taking notes, you can write that down. Um, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'm going to fast forward to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And the rest of this is written in red letters, which means Jesus said this. Here's what it is. After he did that display of humility, he said this. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have done this for you, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you trust that God can take care of exalting you while you live according to his rule? Father, today, God, it's, it's a huge conversation simply because we all are prone to this. This pride of, of, of thinking more about ourselves than others. This idea of, of, of looking down our nose and, and, and casting judgment and, and, and not really acknowledging that we're the mess. That even as Jesus reminded us, we, we look at the, the, the piece of sawdust in, in their eye, but we have a two by four sticking out of ours. That God, there's all kinds of ways that it's put in scripture, but the reminder for all of us is to humble ourselves. That you'll, you'll exalt us. That we look at Jesus and, and, and at, the, at the end, the last moments before he would go to the cross, Right, right here that he literally thought, the last thing I need to teach them is very important. And it was to wash feet. That, Lord, even as we, we take on iHeart coming up, ultimately it's about washing the feet of a community. Whether it's right here in Marysville or Stanwood or Arlington or Lake Stevens, Tlalip and Everett. That, God, we want to display the love of Christ through humility that we're going to roll up our sleeves and there's going to be all kinds of projects and painting and some light construction stuff and concrete. There's going to be weeding and cleaning and barking and all kinds of stuff. But Lord, ultimately, it's because we look at John 13 and we go, what would it mean for us to serve humbly the communities that we love so much, that we can get bullhorns and we can yell about Jesus, that we can have gatherings like this and it's biblical to do this and encourage and sharpen one another. But God, it it means we take this here and we move it outside to the communities that we represent. And that God, whether it's I heart or it's just the way that we exist as a father or a mother, the way that we exist as a husband or a wife, the way that we exist as, as, as part of a greater family, as uncles and aunts and cousins and grandparents, all that stuff, God, simply the place that we have in our community, in our friendships, in committees that we're a part of, or groups that we're on. Or God, it's the workplace and the fact that we, we are still called even there to walk in humility. That God, you would do something in all of us. That we would acknowledge where there's pride. That you would help us see, God, where something rises up and we begin to, to look selfishly at all that we're entrusted with. That somehow it's about us and it's not. So God, would you do something in us, Lord, to identify that pride? That God, we can even, as as Daniel said to the king, king, repent, turn away from it, don't go that way. Stop that stuff. And it may be that God will take care of you. God will leave you where you're at and not have to remove you. And God, it's not meant as a threat, but it's a great reminder that humility matters that much in the world that we live in. Help us live by it, God. Help us know the work of your spirit where it rises up. Maybe not so much on a Sunday, although it does. But God, Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.